One of the reasons why God tells us to meditate on his word day and night is because it gives us the weapon of remembrance. Can I get somebody to say remember? Interwoven all throughout the fabric of scripture is this constant undertone, this, this constant theme to try to get us to become a remembering people. Bible all day coming out, giving you the text. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have it, you can just look on the screen. I just want you to see this. It says, remember. Somebody say remember. Remember, remember now your creator. In the days of your youth. So whoever's 11, it's time for you to remember that now. When you're 15, I need you to get it now. When you're 16, I need you to get it now. Don't think that's the God of my grandmother because you're not promised to see any age. The cemetery is filled with young people too. It says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Then Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says, and you shall remember. Somebody say remember. The Lord, your God, for it is he, not your platform, not your grind, not your hustle, not your job, not your influence. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you just go up a few more verses to verse 11, same chapter, same book, verse 11, look at this. Beware that you do not forget. Y'all catching this? Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Even Jesus in the New Testament reveals to us this same language in Luke chapter 22 verse 19. It's when he's doing communion. He took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Hmm. So I'm tripping, I'm studying this. Do this in remembrance of me. There's this constant language and theme interwoven all throughout the fabric of scripture to get us to become a remembering people. Now there are two definitions to the word remember. First one is to reflect, recall, or bring back an experience. I want you to put like a mental bookmark there. To remember means to reflect, to recall, and to bring back an experience. Now watch this. The second definition of remember means to put back together again. Okay? So what the enemy wants to do, what Satan wants to do, because he is a psychological terrorist of the mind, he wants to use what you remember to dismember you. Does this make sense? He wants to use what you remember to dismember your joy, to dismember your marriage, to dismember your peace, to dismember your sleep, to dismember your clarity. I want to use what you remember to dismember, but God says if you meditate on my word day and night, that's going to help you remember. Remember, remember means put back together.
So when you meditate, that's going to remember your peace. That's going to remember your joy. That's going to remember your clarity. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? So I walked away from devotion time with this revelation. What you remember will do one of two things. It will either give you ammunition or cause aggravation. Talk Holy Spirit. What you remember will be ammunition to help you fight stress or it will be aggravation. It will stress you out. This is why I asked us last week, I want us to be honest. Honestly, audit your life so that we could see what role, what thought am I entertaining that's stressing myself out? Like, how much longer will you allow your thoughts to hurt you? <laughs> you're not under attack, you're under a thought. Is Satan stressing me out or am I stressing me out? Because what you remember will either be your ammunition or it will be your aggravation. So I'm sitting here like, okay, let, let, let's, let's go a little deeper. Psalms chapter 1, when we're speaking about a good man, the blessed man. Psalms chapter 1, verse 2, gave it all clarity and drove it home. It said, but his delight. Somebody say delight. But his delight, somebody say joy. joy. That's what delight means. But his joy is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So the psalmist has already given us the sauce. He's saying, listen, your devotion life is what's going to increase your joy. Show me somebody who has no devotion life and I will show you somebody who's stressed out. Does that make sense? Okay, because your devotion is an investment in your joy currency. Did y'all hear what I just said? Your devotion is an investment in your joy currency. How much you devote will dictate how much joy you really have. Now, I want to show you that this has neurological implications. <laughs> I want to show you how God has been handing out therapy before there was ever a such thing as a therapist. All he has done now is cause us to be woke to the fact that we need healing and has ordained and called people to help us heal, which we now have therapists. But God has been providing therapy a long time ago. This has neurological implications. Now, go back to that mental bookmark. Remember means to bring back an experience. So when you meditate, that's going to bring back an experience of God's faithfulness. Watch it. It's going to bring back a time where God was faithful. It's going to bring back a moment of when you had peace. Now how your body is wired, when you reflect on things that cause you to have joy, your brain releases dopamine to the body. Dopamine is a neotransmitter. It's also referred to as a reward chemical. Okay? It is a chemical that makes you feel good. 
So when they tell you think happy thoughts, this actually has neurological implications. But watch it. It works the same way if you bring back an experience of trauma. Okay? If you bring back an experience that hurt. If you bring back, like, have you ever just thought about something that hurt you? And you just, like, keep on thinking about it? And you start to think about what you should have done different? And you start to think about what you're going to say the next time you see that person? Anybody? Like, I'm starting to think what I should have said. And you start to think yourself mad when you're thinking about that situation and you get mad at yourself over the fact of what you didn't say or what you didn't do because you were so shocked how they were coming at you. And then as you think about it, you're like, man, if I could relive that moment. (laughs) If I could relive it. Oh, I got something to say. The same thing with your flesh. Somebody came at you, but you were saying no because you're practicing, practicing purity. But then one night your flesh is all one and you were like, oh, if he would have come in my DMs tonight. Oh, if she would have respond. I was strong Friday, but I'm not Sunday. <laughs> Bring back an experience. Look, when you reflect on things that are unhealthy, now your brain literally releases a chemical called cortisol. That's your body's stress response. And it's released due to how you are thinking. Okay? Now, dopamine and cortisol really can't work together simultaneously. Either the dopamine, that means the reward, is going to overpower the cortisol, the stress response, or the cortisol, the stress response, is going to overpower the dopamine, the feel-good hormone, right? So since they can't work together, both at the same time, you have the power to choose which one you're going to feel. Now, look, let me give you Bible. This is why Philippians chapter four, verse eight, when the Bible tells us whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Saying this is going to have neurological implications. When you think about me, your brain is wired to release a feel-good hormone. Has neurological implications. Now it makes sense why he says, wait on the Lord. You know what he's really saying? Breathe. (laughs) Breathe. Let's try it. Everybody breathe in your nose. Out your mouth. One more time. Breathe in. Now out. If you research it, when you breathe, it regulates your nervous system. Because when you have stress, you have shorter breath. When you have anxiety attacks, you have shorter breath. So when God says, be still, he's saying, breathe. Because you're high on emotions right now. Breathe. You're high on stress right now. Breathe. Be still and watch me work. Talk, Holy Spirit. Breathe. We can go home. We're in in music. I can close my laptop. We done. I just tell you right there how to get over stress. So now as I'm thinking about all of this, it makes sense now. (laughs) 
It makes sense now why God puts us in seemingly stressful situations. Now, since we're talking about bring back an experience, I want to go back five months. I'm like, man, I can't even believe it's been five months already. I want to go back to March when I had this red C on the screen. Can, can y'all bring this back? I want us to go back here to this red C. Now, if I'm looking at this, I'm stressed out. Right? You got Pharaoh behind you, Red Sea in front of you. It seems like God set you up. It seems like God put you in an unhealthy situation. It seems like God is putting you in a stressful situation. Until God gave me this word in prayer, that's not stress. That's my security deposit. <laughs> y'all don't even get it yet. Y'all clapping, but y'all don't get it yet. That's my security deposit. Because I'm going to crack your seed. Let's go ahead and crack it. I'm going to crack your seed so that the next time you face a red sea, you can remember this. So now when you have something else that seems like you can't break through it, I want you to remember. I want you to remember the time I got you out. I want you to remember the time I restored your peace. I want you to remember the time I kept your sanity. I want you to remember how I stayed when they left. I want you to remember when I helped you get approved on the application. I want you to remember how I healed your body of cancer. I want you to remember when the doctors and the police officers and the firefighters were confused. They say, how did you survive that car accident? We've seen worse car accidents, but you came out without a scratch. You came out without an abrasion. You still walking and you still talking. Last week somebody died, but you're still alive. Remember that. Remember that. I want you to remember when you were crying and now you have joy. Remember, I'm the God that parted your sea. I want you to remember when you didn't know how you were going to pay the rent and I came through clutch. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember when you lost all confidence and I restored unto you your confidence. Not in you, but in me. Remember that. Remember how I cracked your sea and caused you to walk through on dry ground. I told y'all in March that's supposed to be mud. But I want you to go into your next season, no residue, no reflection of where you've been. Remember that. That's my security deposit to show you if I did it before. Y'all better come get me. If I did it before, I'm going to do it again. I think we need to stop right now and give God a praise for all the stuff you can remember. I remember him being faithful. I remember him being a protector. I remember him being a comforter. I remember him being a keeper. I remember him being a wake maker. I remember his faithfulness. I remember him being awesome. I remember him being holy. I remember him sanctifying me. I remember. If somebody next to you is shouting loud, it's because they remember something. Don't judge them. I just remember something. I remember where I was last year this time. Now I'm in church giving God praise. I remember. Somebody say, I remember. Now y'all sit down. You're rushing me. I remember. God, help us to remember. 
so that every single time we face a situation that appears to be a Red Sea, remind us this is not you setting us up to stress us out. But that's your security deposit that if I did it before, I could do it again. And help us to use our neurological ability to remember and bring back an experience of your goodness versus us rehearsing horror stories. And I pray, God, that you give us the conviction to seek your face so that we will become a people who can remember your word because we're in the word. Anoint my lips to be the PA system, the soundtrack of heaven. We're asking that you do it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that prayer would just shout amen in the room. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like something's going to happen in here. Somebody is going to get set free. Let, let's say this confession. Let me focus. Um, everybody online and everybody in-house, can I get y'all to say this uh, as loud as you can? I don't have to, don't have to. be stressed out. I like that part. Just one more time. I don't have to, don't have to be, stressed out, be stressed out, oppressed, oppressed depressed. depressed. I, will I will experience the joy of the Lord. Of the Lord. One more time. I don't have to, don't have to be, stressed out, be stressed out, oppressed, oppressed or depressed. depressed. I, will I will experience the joy of the Lord. Does anybody receive that? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, if part one, <laughs> if part one of this series, in fact, if the introduction we just had <laughs> is any indication, any gauge of what God is about to do over the next several weeks as we have declared war on stress, Hell is in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The camp of darkness is in trouble. Every diabolical force, every diabolical scheme, every satanic strategy is in trouble because I have a feeling in my heart that peace is going to hit somebody's life. Peace is going to help us to start talking different. The peace of God is going to help us to start walking different. The peace of God is going to help us to start seeing different. Because watch this church. Peace carriers see differently. Peace carriers see differently. Like, like stress carriers see the mud, but peace carriers see the rain that we ask God to send us because peace carriers see differently. Stress carriers feel as though God has them on the back burner. Peace carriers are like, at least I'm on fire. <laughs> stress, stress carriers, when next level is in front of them, they take offense. Peace carriers, when next level's in front of you, you start taking notes. Stress carriers compare their life to everybody else's. But peace carriers compare who they were yesterday to who they are today. Because my only competition is who Jerry was yesterday. 
I'm just trying to be more godly on August the 14th than I was on August the 13th. I'm just trying to be a better husband and father on August the 14th <laughs> than I was on August the 13th. The only competition I have is who I was yesterday. Now, I stated last week that this series is going to be an investment in your soul care. I had no idea that I was giving, just being used as a vessel, a life-saving word. Got a letter this week from a young man. He said, I don't know how you came on my TV. <laughs> That's what he said. I don't know how you came on my TV. Thank God for algorithms. I was about to commit suicide because I was so stressed out of everything I've gone through from COVID, taking my parents, losing my job. I'm just so stressed. And I saw you drop this box in a box. And I said, what type of sorcery is this? <laughs> I had no idea that there was a hole in the box. And when you said that stress robs your foundation, and I'm thankful that you said the gift of life, because I never viewed my life as a gift. So now, from that message, I am now viewing my life as a gift. And I don't know if you're watching, bro, but I'm so proud of you, because your life has purpose. Your life has meaning, and the devil is a liar. And this time, you will maintain it. We clap and we come to church, but I'm telling you, there are people stressed out to the point of considering suicide because I don't know how to manage stress. Because stress is an assassination attempt on your joy. Stress is an assassination attempt on your joy. But hell hates a through-it-all worshiper. Did y'all hear me? Hell hates a through-it-all worshiper. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying I'm kind of like a palm tree. I bend, but I don't break. I got something called parachute grace. That means I fail, but the fall didn't break me. Not saying that we're perfect, but... I've learned that the enemy wants to steal my joy and steal my peace because stress declares war on what you believe. And if you start questioning what you believe, it produces doubt. And then doubt gives birth to a child called worry. And all worry is, is saying, God, I don't trust you in this area. If I was a note taker, I'd write that down. When we worry... We're saying, God, I don't trust that you can handle this. <laughs> what are you worried about? All you're saying is, God, you can't handle this. It's up to me. I'm going to have to figure out how to do this on my own. I know that you said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I know that you called us out of Egypt, and you placed me before a Red Sea. You did that before, but on this one, I got to figure it out. That's worry is. Worry is saying, God, I, I don't, 
I don't really trust you in this area. But a through-it-all worshiper says, I don't have to understand it. I'm still going to be devoted. I may not like it, but I'm still going to be devoted. They may leave, but I'm still going to be devoted. Miscarriage, I'm still going to be devoted. Got laid off, I'm still going to be devoted. See, what has happened here in America is we are only classically conditioned to the God that blesses. That's it. So about 85% of your sermons on today are about what God is going to do for you, not what you could do for him. I would take it a little further. I believe if the Holy Spirit could leave, 80% of churches in America would go on as normal, wouldn't even know. We wouldn't. We have smoke, we have perks, we have jokes, we have comedians in pulpits. Not every church. But for the most of us, we are having in America, Western Hemisphere Christianity, we are having entertainment-led services versus Holy Spirit breathe on encounters. And so we laugh and we say church is great and we have our tea and we have our latte. But then when you go right back to your stress, it's nothing to keep you on Monday. Nothing to keep you when you're tested. Through it all, worshiping. My prayer has been, God, would you breathe fresh on this series? I ask it every time, but I just feel, because I know what it feels like to question the gift that you've given me because I'm stressed. I could just imagine how other people in the world feel. So could you breathe on this series? And I'm like, God, we're going this direction towards the holidays. Why? And I felt as though God revealed to me, it's because when you are stressed, you don't burn for me. I don't want my people to have a flicker. This time, I want them to have a fire. A fire. We talked about it last week with John the Baptist. I want to show you. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Hmm. Keep going on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 tells us, for our God is a consuming fire. We're going to war with stress so that you can get your fire back. Can I speak prophetically right now? God is saying, no more flicker. I don't want a flicker of worship. I don't want a flicker of commitment. I don't want a flicker of faithfulness. I don't want a flicker of fasting. I want you to be on fire because when you have my fire, you could burn. And when you could burn, I could burn away your lust and I could burn away your anger and I could burn away your greed and I could burn away your, your pride. You can't do that with a flicker. A spark doesn't even really burn. I want you to be on fire so I could burn it because hell loves the people who profess much but burn little. fire. I want you to have that fire on the inside of you because that way I could burn up what the enemy is trying to do in your life. And there is nothing that can affect your fire like a difficult person. <laughs> Some of us would be on fire. 
It's like that part, though. Nothing can affect your fire like a difficult person. So let, let's, let's park right there. And let's talk about that for part two of this stress management series. Let's talk about how to deal with difficult people. Because sometimes you stressed out because of difficult people. Am I talking to anybody? Yes. Don't say amen too loud if you're married. <laughs> and next, yes! Your husband haven't been that loud all week. <laughs> difficult. <laughs> difficult people. Difficult people are an excellent training facility to reveal if you really have self-restraint or self-government. Oh, they practice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, difficult people are a wonderful training facility to see if you really know how to display the love of Jesus. We just were singing, purify. I want to be tried by fire. God's like, do you really? <laughs> do you really know? Yo, Gabriel, you heard that? <laughs> she was singing, purify. Really? Okay. Okay, I got you, ma'am. <laughs> yes, it's, it is an excellent training facility. Training facility. Difficult people. Difficult people. I'm talking about people who never really acknowledge when they're wrong. Those type of people. Difficult people. Difficult people. The people who have an entitlement issue. They think things are supposed to just be given to them. Like you're just supposed, like difficult people. Difficult people. I'm talking about professional manipulators. Like they're a pro at it. They can't stand a light they can't eclipse. And they always feel like they have to unscrew your light so that they can shine. Difficult people. Difficult people. I'm talking about... <coughs> People who are allergic to saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> people who are allergic to saying I'm wrong. Like it actually hurts. They're these type of people where they apologize in their head. And if we hear them, that's on us. That's on us. I apologize. You just didn't hear it though. <laughs> Difficult people. Difficult people. I I'm talking about those who have to have the last word. Difficult people, difficult people, the, the, the types of people who have to say what they feel in a moment where it's not required now. Just difficult people. Like they have PhDs in petty, but GEDs in being mature. Difficult people. <laughs> difficult people. There's some difficult people. All right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, that's one right there. Being in denial that you difficult. Difficult people. Difficult people. What do you do when you have to deal with difficult people? It's almost like those of us who recognize we need healing and are trying to get healing due to people who don't think they need healing. Did y'all hear what I just said? Like, I'm trying to get healing from somebody who doesn't think they need healing. Difficult people. How do you deal with difficult people? And I know. I know, in the house, you got the answer. Online, you probably like, Pastor, I already got it. Cut them off. <laughs> That's not a deep SAT question. Cut them off. 
My cutoff game is so strong. I'm talking to you. That's why I'm looking at you. My cutoff game is so strong. What do you mean? What do you do? I cut them off. I block them. I no longer do life with them. I unfollow them. Matter of fact, I cut the umbilical cord when I came out the womb. My cutoff game is that strong. I will 1990s Full House episode Joey cut it out so fast so somebody... Anybody in the house, your cutoff game, like swole, like you got a strong, be honest, put it high, like I got a strong cutoff game, okay. All right, time to come for your throat. Not your throat, your throat, we coming for that. What do you do? Somebody was like, that's why I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> what do you do though, when the difficult person is tied to your promotion? See, see, we're going to lose all the amen corner right here. Because this means to cut them off is to cut off your promotion. To block them is to block your promotion. That's not biblical. Come here, Judas. Without you, if I would have cut you off, I couldn't have got to the cross. What if difficult people you needed to elevate? And some of us have been cutting people off into a place where we're stagnant. I don't see change. You cut off everybody who will help you. That's not help, is it not? I just don't think that's biblical. I'm going to give you another biblical character uh, by the name of King Saul and David. David, the eighth son of Jesse. He has the battle of living in between two dimensions. He has to navigate between two places. I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. Somebody say he oily. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. The text does not say David got anointed and then Samuel took him to the palace. So he has to learn how to operate with an anointing that doesn't match his place. Stay with me. How do you manage the season of where my oil doesn't match where I am? And it's, and it's like this on purpose. You got a palace anointment, but you have pasture placement. And you have to have the character to be humble, even though you know that's where I'm going, but I'm still in the pasture. This is profound because if you recognize that you have a palace anointing, you won't date nothing in the pasture because you know I'm not standing here. I'm not staying here. I'm not catching feelings for anybody in the pasture because I'm not staying here. But how do you operate with a sense of confidence of knowing where you're going, but then also a sense of humility because I'm still in the pasture? He, he has to operate between two dimensions. He's anointed to be king. He is appointed to be king. Now you have to understand this. David did not go to any king university. He didn't have king discipleship class or a how to be king master class. He wasn't in a king's institute. It's just that the king of kings anointed him to be a king. 
Stop letting your lack of a PhD make you think you're not qualified if your anointing has called you for it. Nobody has ever asked me what my education is. Nobody. Because when you have a call on your life and an anointing on your life, it speaks volumes for itself. Am I saying be uneducated? No. And all thy getting, get understanding. But what I am saying is don't make yourself feel as though unless I get that. I'm not minimizing the value of education. We could use Peter and Paul all day. Peter was anointed and passionate. Paul was anointed, passionate, and educated, which is why he had more to contribute in the text in the New, in the New Testament. So education does matter. However, he is in this place where he's anointed, he's appointed, God has blessed him, but God left out some important information. Saul was not a part of the itinerary when Samuel was pouring that oil on my head. When all y'all said he oily, Samuel never said you anointed, but you're going to have to deal with Saul. Every person who is anointed, you will have a Saul. You will. And if you're like, I'm going to cut them off, this means you miss your Jonathan and your palace. Talk. Jonathan will become David's best friend. If you cut off Saul, don't have nothing to do with him, the blessing of a Jonathan you'll never experience. Because every time somebody's difficult, you cut them off. Let, let's, let's dig into the story just a little more because King Saul has a little issue with David, all right? It's kind of funny because Saul's spirited people, oh, let me put it this way. People who are like Saul view your blessing as their problem. Did y'all hear me? People who are like Saul view your ministry's growth or your entrepreneurial pursuit growing as their problem. Like they view your favor as their problem. They got an issue with you because God is blessing you. That's a Saul type heart person. This is why the Bible says a wise person can overlook an offense. One definition of overlook means to be above. So I'm overlooking the valley from the hill. This means a hater, a critic, or a Saul type person can never throw rocks down on you. They have to always throw them up. <laughs> Did y'all hear me? They can never throw anything down on you because you're above it. They got to throw it up. Saul has an issue with David. And I want to show you where it started. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. It says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. Now it happened... As they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet David. No, that's not what it says. To meet David. Is that what your Bible says? To meet King Saul. Okay. With tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Remember, they came to meet who? Saul. All right. Then Saul was... Very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, They've ascribed to David 10,000, but me, they only ascribe a thousand. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? 
So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Let's pause right there. We're going to pick back up in a second. I'm like, okay, I got a huge problem with this. Because verse 5 says, Saul placed David over the men of war. That's what the Bible says, right? Okay, this is, this is my problem. How is it you place David over the men of war? He comes back from winning the war. Everybody's celebrating that y'all won the war, but you can't celebrate because you're tripping over his stats. <laughs> I'm tripping. I'm like, bro, you won. Yeah, but they singing about David, though. See, please hear me. Difficult people sometimes don't like you because other people speak good of you. Oh, I hope this take a weight off you. What did I do? What? Nothing. They, they have an issue. It's that you're like people celebrating or honoring or gleaning from whatever you do. That exposes their insecurity. Why you keep wondering, what did I do? And maybe I shouldn't. And how? It's nothing about you. It's they can't stand for somebody else to be celebrated besides themselves. You, you, you set him to do this. Can I mess y'all up? Jealousy and stress will blindfold you to where you're winning. <laughs> Somebody said, they ain't get it. He is upset that they won, but it goes under his record as his victory. What in your life does Satan have you feeling as though you're losing because your stress has blindfolded you to where you got the victory? It's too much, sis. I can't. <laughs> we flowing now. You, you got the victory, but you can't see it because of what you want them to think. God is pouring out blessings on your life, but you can't see it because they don't see me yet. Could you imagine what type of warrior David would have been if he blamed the fact that his father, Jesse, called all of his brothers in the house and left him in the field? And he felt as though they overlooked me. And now they're sending his praise. He probably would have been turned up. Yeah, I am on one. See, Jesse, see, you had me out here in the pasture with these sheep. See, look at me now. Listen, y'all go ahead and sing it, lady. Go, David. Go, go ahead. Listen. But he had his heavenly father give him the affirmation so that when other people sing praise, they don't faze him. Some of us have abandonment and healing issues so deep where God really can't cause anything in your life to grow because you will start to get cocky because you don't have your affirmation in him. You're looking for it from them. And he knows if I were to allow this to happen in your life, we barely talking now. I want you to know me so much so that when I give you success, you don't lose your sense. Remember me. I'm the one who gave you the power to do this. Now, as we keep on reading this text, verse 10, same chapter, same book. It says, and it happened on the next day that a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, meaning allowed by God, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. 
But there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence, not once. All right, see, pause right here. First time he threw the spear at me, I'm done. <laughs> first time I made just, oh, first time. That's all you got, bro. <laughs> Anybody else? Some of y'all may be like, I'll come back. Okay, you like David, praise God. But David escaped his presence, not once, but twice. Now Saul was afraid of David. Sometimes they're scared because they recognize they can't hurt you. Saul is afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. I'm like, when he had this spear, come here, T-Money. T-Money is like his nickname. It's really Torrance, so I call him T-Money. When Saul first threw the spear, I don't know how David dodged it. And then when he threw it again, now I'm thinking you have to understand some biblical exegesis of Saul. Saul is like six, six, solid, strong dude. He is trained in warfare. So I'm thinking Saul is like, I don't really miss. <laughs> I don't really miss. If you this close, I don't think I'm a miss. I don't know how far you were. But there was something about the way that Saul missed. Hold this. There's something about the way that he missed that caused us to see verse 12. Now Saul was afraid. Y'all see this? Now Saul was afraid because the Lord was with him. This is what it looks like when you're dealing with a difficult person. Face me, Torrance. You have a harp in your hand and they have a spear in their hand. You can't push it out a little more. You, you, you can't get too close to them because if you try, you get stabbed in the heart. See, some of us, you're so hurt because you're being vulnerable with your soul. If this wouldn't injure somebody, I'd throw it. So when you try to get close, every time you do, you get stabbed. Difficult people have spears. You have a harp. I'm thinking, could you imagine David just sitting there? <laughs> just trying to calm him down. Now, really, he was probably like. <laughs> could you imagine what that was like? You got a harp in your hand. And they have a spear in their hand. This is supposed to be my leader. You know how many leaders have spears when we have harps? I'm here trying to calm your devils. I'm here trying to calm your demons. But your devils have you thinking that you could kill me. Now, for all of us who said, we would cut them off. <laughs> Let me see this for a second. You can't get promoted with a harp and a spear at the same time. Okay? Because some of us, we would have threw it right back. Anybody honest? 
Nug, if he bug, boy, like, you throw it once. Got long hair, I'm shaking, you ready. <laughs> this wouldn't have been a harp, this would have been war. Difficult people, listen, God knew that David would have a harp, and he also knew that Saul would have a spear. But here's the thing, as long as you have the harp, the spear can't touch you. Somebody didn't hear what I just said. As long as you have a harp, this is his gift. As long as you remember what I'm capable of doing, he's never going to allow their spear to connect. So all of the people saying, I'll cut you off, I'm trying to get you to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to remember. Your promotion won't come from this. Some of us walk around with spears. And as soon as somebody says something, this is Sparta, and you just ready. <laughs> it's all in your flesh. Oh, like you ready. God promote me though. But if somebody try me though, which one is worth it? Which one is worth it? I understand you're dealing with somebody who has a spear. But you have a harp, and I'm trying to get you to see, I can't use both of them and be favored at the same time. I can't. This is more about God departing from them. Gosh, listen, y'all. This, this is more about they don't have God's hand on their life like you do. They have spears because they lack presence. You don't need to pick up a spear when you got the presence. What, what can we learn from David's life? I believe he gives us three main points on how to deal with difficult people. The first main point that almost had me shout during study time is remember you got the oil. Y'all didn't hear what I said. Say it one more time, same way. It blessed me when I was studying it. Remember, you got the oil. I could have said you have, but I want Ebonics on purpose. You got the oil. Why would you clap back and you're the one? You're the one who is going to go to the next level. You have to remember you have the oil. Now watch this, watch this, look. For you, to throw the spear back is to choose to let your oil spoil. Because if David would have thrown the spear back, he would have killed the king. So this means he would have had to die because he assassinated the king. This is making sense. So every time you get ready to throw the spear back, I want this to be in your ears. You're going to let your oil spoil. You got anointed. They're only tripping because they don't have the presence like you do. Don't let your oil spoil because of what they said, what they posted. Now, he was trying to kill David. He said, I'll pin him to the wall. You know what that reminded me of as I was studying? Cancel culture. He was trying to cancel David. I'm like, you can't cancel who got anointed. 
So I'm like, why don't we have more spiritual leaders who are bold? Who cares what they think? They can't cancel who God anointed. You can throw spears all day if you want to. I'll be missing all of them. Because you can't cancel who God has anointed. For everybody who struggles with this, I want to make it clear. This does not mean you're a doormat. This means you have oil awareness. Say it one more time. This does not mean you're a doormat. This means you have oil awareness. You're aware that you have been anointed. And for me to throw the spear back is to be like Saul. Does that make sense? How to deal with difficult people. This one takes maturity. Number two, I believe if you're going to deal with difficult people, instead of you getting offended, you have to ask yourself this question. What happened to them? This is going to help somebody, man. In traffic, somebody do something crazy. What happened to them? Don't, don't question you. Remember, you got the oil. What happened to them? To get offended by their actions is for you to take personal, their personal event. Does that make sense? A personal event happened in their life that affected their personality. For you to get offended by them is for you to take personal, their personal event. What happened to them? Who dropped them? Who hurt them? How was their childhood? I'm serious. You, with Tanisha all day, when I see stuff like that, I will literally say, they hurt. They're hurting. This causes for you to remember, it's more about their storms on the inside of them than something that you have done. Because people who are carrying stores also produce thunder. And you have to understand, thunder grows nothing. The water does. You be the watering. They could thunder all day. And I'm not telling you to go out and find unhealthy and toxic people. I'm talking about people in your life you can't cut off. Could be a boss. Well, I can quit. You're going to have another one. Well, I'm going to produce my own stuff. Okay, you're still going to have to get your stuff right with the government so that you don't end up in jail because the IRS came after you. You're going to have to deal with somebody. Somebody. If you don't submit to anybody, you have to submit to a prison warden. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. I'm serious. So you got to get to a place where I'm able to listen to somebody. What happened to them? For anybody who has ever said, I'm never doing this again. I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing this because of a difficult person. You're forfeiting your Jonathan. You're forfeiting your promotion. Well, they ain't never going to change. That's how you engage and responsibility confusion. The outcome is God's responsibility, not yours. You're stressed because you have responsibility confusion. You think you're responsible for them changing. You can't make somebody value what they already don't appreciate. Did y'all hear me? I'm trying to help somebody. It's less about you. It's more what happened to them. Last point. From David's life. David just came and preached a sermon, y'all. That's it. Last point, I don't cut corners. I don't cut corners. What do I mean by that? There was a time 
when Saul was available for David to kill him. I want you to see this. We're going to end. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. It says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Be careful about people telling you what God said. Saul is asleep. And they're like, bro, he been talking all this noise. He been saying all that stuff. God has the God. This is the blessing from God. Ride on him. <laughs> Trying to get me the Bible. You understand it. This is God giving you this opportunity. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now notice David's heart. Notice David's heart. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut. Saul's robe. Not killed him, not cut his skin, but his clothes. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Notice how he's anointed, but he remembers who God first anointed. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also rose afterwards, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And some of my boys urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in hand. And I'm not lying. I could have killed you, bro. In fact, I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. I don't cut corners. You know what this represents? I'm not cutting out on the process. If I have to deal with a Saul to get to the palace, I'm not cutting corners. I'm not trying to find a shortcut to get over this because God ordained me when I was in the pasture. I'm not cutting a corner. I'm not going to take the easy route because this is obviously a part of my process. I'm trying to help somebody. This is obviously a part of my process. And if it is, I'm not cutting corners. Whatever you got to mold out, God mold it out. Whatever you got to build in, God build it in. Whatever you got to take away, take away. But I will not hurt other people because of what I'm tired of dealing with. Even though my boys and my friends are telling me that God has given you over to me, I got so much character. I have so much management that I won't lay a hand on you. And I'm trying to get us to release the stress by thinking that you could change them, you could stop them, you could cut them off. Some of them you can if it's a boundary. But anybody who's your Judas or your Saul, you need them because of what they're doing in you. And I want this to be a challenge for us to remember for the sake of this sermon, David 
who didn't throw the spear back, but trusted the same God who anointed me in the pasture is going to have my back when I'm dodging spears in the palace. So God, we need help on this one. And I believe, Lord, that what will greatly help us is when we remember what we're called to do. For us to engage in warfare behavior or having sword fights, using the word to fight somebody or saying stuff back is to forget you saw me in the pasture. You chose me and you're teaching me. Help us to remember that by this, all men will know that we are your disciples, not by how we preach, not by how we worship, not by how we sing, not by how much we post, but by the way we love one another. And love is patient. And love is kind. Forgive us for having a reputation in the earth for being mean Christians. Forgive us for feeling the need that we need to vindicate ourselves. Because for us to try to vindicate ourselves is stealing. Because you told us vengeance is yours. Help us to remember the same God who stretched out the heavens like a curtain is the same God that sees the difficult people that we're dealing with. And most importantly, God, we pray that they will see you in us more than us clapping back to them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you say amen?